and I turn to the book of Luke once again, Luke chapter 11, and uh, we have spent a number of weeks uh, teaching using this verse of scripture as our text, and uh, we're going to go back again tonight. I didn't get very far into last week's lesson, and the Holy Ghost just stepped in, and and uh, we're thankful for that, thankful always when God decides to just give us a divine interruption through the power of his Spirit, and he did that. He did that in such a wonderful way last Tuesday night. We're going to go back again tonight. I don't know uh, that we will finish this lesson tonight. So I'm not sure when we'll finish, but I'm not real concerned about that. Just want to cover what the Lord allows me to cover tonight. Of course, we're starting Revival Sunday, and I'm very, very excited about having Brother Herring back with us again and uh, looking forward to what God is going to do during our revival. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. It came to pass as he, that is Jesus, was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. And I've said it, I've said it for a number of weeks. I continue to say that every one of us should be looking for a deeper depth in our prayer life. We should never grow satisfied with where we are, but we need to be looking to learn more about prayer. Amen. And uh, I will tell you, I will tell you that I can teach and teach and teach until the Lord comes. But prayer is one of those things that the greatest way to learn about it is to put it into practice. Hallelujah. At some point, you got to dive in and do it. And uh, yet, if we can help you by giving you some biblical examples and learning some things from the scripture about this subject, then we want to do that. Amen. And I do believe that God's been helping some of you and helping in your prayer life. And we're thankful for what we are seeing God do as a result of that. There is power in prayer. There is power in prayer. Hallelujah. And especially when we do it right. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. And so this is our eighth lesson. Um. And as I said, most likely not our last on this subject that we have entitled the power of a proper prayer, a proper prayer. I don't want to just say prayers. 
I don't want to just say prayers. I don't want my prayers to simply be the repetition of words. But I want to do something. I want to have an effect for the kingdom of God. I want to move the heart of God when I'm praying. Hallelujah. Someone once said prayer changes things. I'll tell you really, the reason things get changed through prayer is because prayer changes people. And it's as we are changed that things start to change. And some things don't change, but our attitude toward them changes. Praise God. Well, God bless you tonight. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands, lift our voices. Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. Can we do that? Everybody, let's talk to the Lord together right now. We thank you now, Lord. We thank you. We thank you. Let's praise him one more time before we're seated. Everybody, let's give God some praise. Let's give God some praise. Let's give God some praise. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time in review, um, but there are a few things that I want to say tonight just as a reminder. Some of the things that we have talked about and have, uh, have learned from the pages of Scripture over the last several weeks. Um, I pointed out to you in one of the opening lessons uh, of this subject that uh, the purpose of the members of the church is outreach. We are called to be witnesses. But the purpose of this building is that it is to be a place of prayer. Jesus said, it is written that my house shall be called a house of prayer. It's a house of prayer. It's a house of prayer. Now look, we, we, we come in here, we praise God, we worship God, but our praise and worship ought to be the natural outcropping of a prayer life. Hallelujah. That's why we have pre-service prayer. We want to come in. We want this place to be known as a place of prayer. The worship, the praise, the singing, everything else that goes on, these are all just added benefits. But this is a place of prayer. It's a place where we communicate with God and God communicates with us. Praise God. Amen. And so in our text, the disciples have made a request to the Lord. Uh, they've said, Lord, teach us 
to pray. As I've pointed out to you, I believe these men knew something about prayer. I believe that they'd already learned some things about prayer, but they were not satisfied. There was something about it when they heard and saw Jesus pray that they began to realize there's something lacking yet. There is something we still need to add to our prayer life. And so they said, Lord, teach us. Teach us how to do what you do. Teach us. Show us the way. Praise God. Amen. Now, uh, if you read on, um, you, you can find, especially in Matthew chapter 6, where uh, this request is also stated that there, when they made this request of the Lord, teach us to pray. He began to respond to them there uh, by saying that uh, when you pray, uh, then I want you to do it this way. Please understand that Jesus was not instructing them to repeat his words, but he was saying, I want to teach you the fashion of prayer. I want to teach you the model of prayer. I, I, I don't want to give you words to repeat. This is a grave mistake that is made by thousands of people, millions of people who call themselves Christians. They think they can simply recite what Jesus said, and that's going to get them answers. But Jesus did not give us instructions for recitation. He didn't give us verbiage for repetition. He gave us a fashion, a model. This is the way I want you to do it. Amen. And so we looked at, we studied, we spent a few weeks talking about what we call the Lord's Prayer. We spent some time looking at that as an example, gleaning from those lessons and learning what it was that the Lord wanted us to learn. One of the things that I pointed out in those early lessons was that the Lord's Prayer, uh, if we're going to call it that, uh, was not a lengthy prayer. It was not a lengthy prayer. Um, because the Pharisees were known, Jesus said, for their much speaking. They knew how to pray long prayers. But they weren't praying powerful prayers. Now, again, I don't want you to misunderstand and think that Jesus is teaching us that our prayer life ought to be filled with just short prayers. Are you going to help me tonight? Yeah. Amen. But he was instead giving us a model, a fashion, if you please, of how to go about it. And yet at the same time, it does appear to me that the Lord is far more concerned with the quality of our prayer than he is with the quantity of our prayer. Which is why I've stated over and over, I'm not a fan of prayer charts of taking so many minutes on each subject. I think that teaches you to be a clock watcher, not a prayer warrior. Right, right. Jesus is not interested in how many minutes we spend. It's how much effort we put into it. It's what are we doing? What is the purpose? What is our focus? What is our motive? Those are the things he cares about. Yeah, amen, amen. Hallelujah. 
Amen. And so we looked at that prayer in Luke's gospel, 58 words long, Matthew's gospel, 66 in our King James Bible. We also went on to another example. We, we looked at the example of Elijah's prayer on Mount Carmel. No question that was an effective prayer. No question that prayer worked. Hallelujah. Amen. The fire of God fell when Elijah finished praying just 63 words in our English Bible. Those few short words, they carried power with God. Now again, it wasn't because Elijah was in a habit of praying short prayers, but it's because Elijah was in the habit of praying. And I submit to you, if we'll pray enough, then in a time of crisis, we don't have to pray a long prayer. If we'll pray enough, if we'll establish a relationship with God through our regular daily prayer life, then when we need him, it doesn't take a long time to get him to respond. Right. Well, praise God. Amen. And so we, we've looked at those prayers. And then last week we started examining another very short prayer. Um, and again, I'm not trying to uh, encourage short prayers, but I am trying to just give you some principles of prayer through these examples that we know worked. Now, the, the prayer that we began looking at last week um, really was pretty much unknown uh, until some years ago when somebody wrote a book on the subject. And in my opinion, uh, my opinion for what it's worth, misconstrued the real beauty of that prayer. And many quote unquote Christians jumped on it and, and began to lay claim to it and, and began to try to recite it. And use it as an example of prayer all the while I believe missing what it was that this man actually accomplished in this prayer there are too many people who took it as a as a confirmation for for what we call the prosperity gospel they looked at it as a prayer to ask God to cause you to just prosper and to have everything you want. And that's not at all what was going on here. Amen. That's not what was going on here. And I'm going to show that to you in just a few moments. And I want to tell you, and, and especially uh, my efforts in Africa, I've come to despise that prosperity gospel more and more and more. Because believe it or not, it's one of the most popular messages preached on the continent of Africa. And I'm asking those people all the time, do you know anybody that's prospered because of it? Their response is always, they stand there for a while, and then finally they say, no, no, we don't. I said, well, I do. The guy that's up there preaching it. He's prospering from it. But he's the only one prospering from it because he's convincing people to sow seeds into his ministry. People are making sacrifices. People who don't even have money for food are giving that man their money. And he's jet setting around while they're starving. I hate that message. I hate that false doctrine. 
And so to take a prayer like the one that we started looking at last week and try to apply it to the prosperity gospel is an abomination in my opinion. That's not at all what this man was praying about. He wasn't asking God to give him jet planes and Mercedes-Benz chariots. Hallelujah. He had a different intention in mind altogether. And we want to look at that. We want to set the record straight tonight because there is something powerful in this. So last week we began talking about this prayer that that, uh, someone wrote a book on. Uh, They called the prayer of Jabez. We started looking at it. As I mentioned to you last week, he was relatively unknown until this book came out. Most people uh, would be reading the genealogies and just go right over it. Uh, they'd get into First Chronicles chapter 4 and their, their eyes would glaze over. <laughs> and uh, uh, most of those names, as my reader so capably demonstrated last week, um, are difficult to pronounce. And so folks are just looking through the list and it's really not even registering. But right in the middle of all of that, God tells us a very brief story. Just a couple of verses long, but he tells the story of an individual. And and this is where we uh, got to last night, just trying to introduce the individual to you. We really don't know anything about him. His, His little brief biography appears and then disappears in the middle of several chapters of genealogy. And all we know about him is that evidently his life started out badly, but it ended up very well. And this is where we got to, the Holy Ghost got to moving last week. I pointed out to you the very name Jabez means one who caused pain or one who will cause pain or sorrow. And we talked about that man, amen, that even his own mother uh, thought was going to be a troublemaker and going to be a source of conflict and a source of sorrow, amen. But he prayed a prayer, and because of that prayer, God turned his life around. And this is where we, we, uh, I, I just got way too sidetracked from my notes and just felt the leading of the Holy Ghost to encourage somebody that it really doesn't matter what your past is nor what anybody else thinks about you I'm telling you I'm glad I serve a God who doesn't see what we are or who we are but he sees what he can make out of us He looked at a world that was without form and void. He just started saying, let there be, and there was. And everything changed. He didn't look at the world for what it was, but for what he was going to make out of it. And isn't that the story of just about every Bible hero that we can name? Jacob becoming Israel. Right? Abram becoming Abraham, Saul becoming Paul, the impetuous Simon becoming the spokesman of Pentecost, right? 
This is the story that is repeated throughout the scripture where God finds somebody and it doesn't matter who they are or what they are. God's not looking for a pedigree. God's not sizing us up based on what others think we can or cannot accomplish. Hallelujah. God's not handing out gifts and callings just because your class voted you most likely to succeed. I'm telling you, God is not interested in any of that. God sees things that nobody else can see, and he's able to turn our lives around. And perhaps nobody proves that any better than Jabez does. For though, as I pointed out to you last week, though his mother called him Jabez, meaning the one who will cause pain, he prayed a prayer. He prayed a prayer. And the Bible says he was more honorable than his brethren. Amen. God saw more in him than in his brothers. And he requested, and we may get into this tonight, probably not tonight, but he requested. Uh, uh, it, it's not the way it's worded in the King James, but, but uh, when you look into the original, his request was, Lord, don't let me live up to this name. I don't want to live up to the name my mama gave me. And the beautiful thing is that verse 10 ends with God granted him what he requested. God turned his life around. Well, hallelujah. And if you're here tonight, I just want you to know before we go any farther, I want you to understand that it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. It doesn't matter what your history is. Your history does not have to determine your future. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. I said your past doesn't have to describe what tomorrow's going to be. Amen. There's a God who knows how to change things. Amen. So what we did last week, we talked a little bit about the man, but the purpose of this lesson is to talk about the prayer. We never got to that. And so we want to look at that tonight. If you would open your Bibles, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse number 10. We want to look at this prayer. Only 33 words in our English Bible. 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. And Jabez called on the, on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. And enlarge my coast, that thine hand would be with me, and thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him all which he requested. And God granted him that which he requested. Now, let's, let's just break this prayer down. Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, the first part of the prayer is this, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. This is where so many get the idea that this is a prayer for material blessings. 
But I want to tell you something. The blessing of God is far greater than material things. Now, from time to time, God includes material things. But that's not the sum total of his blessing. If God wants everybody rich and, and, and healthy, then the apostle Paul was out of the will of God. Right? I mean, he shouldn't have been, he shouldn't have been trying to save his hide in the middle of the ocean. He, he, he shouldn't have happened to be uh, swimming around on those planks. He shouldn't have been spending time in jail. He should have never been stoned or... Right? If that's what God's blessings entail. But God's blessings are so much greater. And the whole concept of the blessing of God is much deeper than just material things. In fact, in fact, this is not in my notes, but the Apostle Paul used this very concept when he wrote to the church at Corinth. And he said, look, we have been sowing to you. We, the ministers of the gospel, have been sowing to you spiritual things. And you should not be upset that we reap a few carnal things from you. His whole point in that was what you're getting is, is, is able to last through eternity. What we are putting in you, what the word of God is doing for you will take you to the streets of gold. It will be with you throughout eternity. But what little bit we glean from what you give us, that's going to be gone tomorrow. That's not going to last. And it's certainly not going with us beyond the grave. And so he was making a comparison that what you are getting spiritually is much, much greater than any financial quote unquote blessing that you can contrive in your minds. I'm here to tell you tonight that when Jabez prayed to God, oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. I don't believe that money was anywhere in his thoughts. I don't think he was praying for a bigger house. I don't think he was praying for nicer clothes. He understood the blessing of God to be something far greater than all of that. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. It's greater than a six-figured income or a six-door car. Well, hallelujah. Amen. I'm telling you, when, when we ask for God's blessings, uh, amen, wh what we need to understand is that we are crying out for God's wonderful, unlimited goodness that only God has the power to even know about or to give to us. We're not just asking, God, give me a raise on the job, or God, send somebody my way to pay off my bills, or God, let me win the sweepstakes. I'm telling you, when we're praying for the blessing of God, we ought to get a picture that God's blessing really has very little to do with our financial status. But the blessing of God goes far.
far deeper than that. It's far richer than that. It's far more powerful than that. In fact, I want to ask you, when he said, oh, that thou wouldest blessed me indeed. Now, the next word is and, so that means anything after that is added to what he just asked. Are you following me? So when he said, bless me indeed, what kind of blessing was he asking for? Do you see that Jabez left it up to God to decide what the blessing would be? No, some of you didn't get that. Jabez is not telling God how to bless him. You know, sometimes God blesses us with trouble. Because he knows that trouble is going to work something in our life. Hallelujah. Sometimes God blesses us with loss. Because there are some things we don't need to have. They become a distraction in our spiritual walk. Are you hearing me tonight? Jabez didn't say, God bless me this way and this way and this way and this way. God do this and this and this and this. Jabez didn't see God as some kind of Santa Claus that you sit down and write your wish list to. I'm afraid there's too many Christians that that's exactly how they see God. In fact, they think the only time they pray is when they need something from him. Jabez is praying and he's praying for blessings, but he's not saying how God should bless. He just said, God, you know what I need. You know where I'm at in my life. You know what I need to experience. Whatever you send my way, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above, uh, from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I'm telling you, everything God gives us is good. Everything he gives us has a purpose. It has a reason. Right. We know, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Can I tell you, sometimes the blessing of God doesn't look like a blessing to us. God said to Abraham, Abram at the time, I'm going to bless you. In fact, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. He said, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because of you, Abram. Now, what kind of blessing did God give Abram? Well, he gave his wife barrenness. Hello? Barrenness, which the rest of the world considered a curse. I've said it before, but you know, Abram is on his journeys and he, 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 he checks into the uh, local Holiday Inn. God's, God's changed his name now. God's changed it from Abram to Abraham, from high father to father of many nations. So what a name that is, father of many nations. 
So he goes down and checks into the local Holiday Inn and he signs his name. They say, oh, father of many nations, how many children have you got? Um, right now? None. And they look at the old man and they look at his elderly wife. And they say, boy, your mama and daddy sure made a mistake when they named you. And he said, I know this is not in your Bible. This is in the Riggin Revised Version, all right? He said, my mama and my daddy didn't give me that name. Well, who did? My God. Well, what kind of God do you serve? Here you are. Up into your 90s. And your wife in her 80s. And you've got no children. And yet he makes you go around telling everybody you're the father of many nations. Do you know what that was? That was the blessing of God. Didn't look like a blessing. It didn't feel like a blessing. But I'm telling you, by the time he finally held that bouncing baby boy in his hands, everybody knew this wasn't an accident. There was a God who had foreseen this and had foretold this. And Jehovah got the glory out of that situation. I'm telling you, saints, sometimes the way God blesses us doesn't look like a blessing. It doesn't feel like a blessing. And nobody else understands that we're being blessed. But God knows it. And we need to understand. We need to get a grip on some things tonight. We need to know. We got to start praying, God, I want you to bless me. But I'm not going to tell you how to do it. You know what I need. You know what your kingdom needs. You know what your church needs. You know what it's going to take to get me to the place that I need to be. Right. In fact, I'm going to tell you, there, I, there was a transformation somewhere in the heart of Sarah. Because when that prophecy was made that she's going to have a boy about this time next year, according to the time of life, she mocked it. She made fun of it. She didn't believe it. But I'm going to tell you what the book of Hebrews says. The book of Hebrews says it was through faith that Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. She didn't have any faith when the prophecy was given. But something happened in her life. God blessed her in some way to the point that by the time, amen, that it came time to conceive, there was faith in her heart. Listen to me, saints. Sometimes God sends that storm. It's not a curse. It's a blessing. Right. Sometimes God sends that drought, not as a curse, but as a blessing. John, we're going to take you and throw you out here on the Isle of Patmos. We're just going to forget about you. We're going to let you fend off the wild beasts. Starve to death, who knows? Go crazy? No, no, no. You know what happened to John? 
when he had all that alone time, he said, I don't have to be alone. And he got in the spirit on the Lord's day. He wasn't alone. He wasn't by himself. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, sometimes God allows you to feel that loneliness because he's looking for you to look for him. All right. Sometimes God strips, oh, I feel this tonight. Sometimes God strips other things away from us because he wants us to run back to him. Amen. Oh, help me, Jesus. None of this is in my notes. But I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. So I'm not going anywhere, amen, except for where I feel right now. Jesus announced to his disciples, he said, I, I got to go to Jerusalem. And I'm going to be bound. I'm going to be put to death. And Simon Peter, thinking he was doing the right thing, jumped up and said, Lord, never on my watch. It ain't happening. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to defend you. We would say, oh, thank God for such loyal friends, right? Right? Come on, somebody. Right. Thank God for a loyal friend. That's not what Jesus said. He turned and looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. Because you don't savor the things of God. You savor the things of men. Look it up. Matthew chapter 16. Look it up. You don't savor the things of God. You savor the things of men. And yet Judas sold him for the price of a slave. Came and hypocritically kissed him on the cheek to identify him to the Roman soldiers he had brought there to take him away. And Jesus looked at Judas and said, friend, wherefore art thou come? Hello? Amen. Simon said, I'm going to defend you. And he got called not just a devil, but the devil. Amen. Judas sold him and was called his friend. Why? Because he came to this earth with the purpose of going to Calvary. And if Peter had stopped him from going to Calvary, his purpose would not have been accomplished. What would have looked like a blessing to everyone else, somebody's sparing me from the agony of the cross. Jesus said, that's the way men look. That's what he's, when he said, thou savorest not the things of God, look it up. The word savor means to hold an opinion. He said, Peter, you're expressing man's opinion, not God's opinion. God's opinion is I got to go to the cross. Man. The opinion of the spirit is I've got to lay my life down. And anybody that tries to stop me is not my friend. Amen. 
Amen. But Judas, Judas actually led him to that point. Judas actually sold him so that he could fulfill his purpose. And Jesus said, now that's what a friend is. Not somebody that sells you out, you understand. Are you understanding what I'm telling you? But Jesus said, I'll tell you the difference between a friend and a foe. Those that keep you away from the cross, they're not your friends. Amen. Those that keep you from the cross are not your friends, but somebody that leads you to that place where you can kneel at his feet and be cleansed by his blood. I'm telling you, that person is your friend. Amen. It's what I can't understand about some parents. The pastor gets on little Herkimer or little Gertrude and, and, and the pastor has to correct them and mom and daddy get all mad about it and they don't like it. I want to tell you the pastor's your best friend. He's trying to get those kids to Calvary. Right. That's not an enemy. That's a friend. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. It may not be the children. It may be mom and daddy themselves. They don't like the preaching. They don't like it. And the preacher makes it plain. The preacher steps on their toes. But I'm going to tell you, if you'll let it drive you to the cross, then that becomes the greatest friend you've ever known in your life. Instead of driving you to bitterness and frustration and anger, I'm telling you, if it'll drive you to your knees, it'll be the best friend you've ever known. Sometimes God's blessings are not what you think they are. Amen. Solomon said it this way. He said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That's what he said. And that's before Judas pulled his stunt. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend that will tell you the truth even when it hurts. Sometimes that's the best friend you can have. Hallelujah. I've told people, I've said it many, many times. One of the reasons that, that uh, Brother John Burgess is, is among my very best and closest friends is because I've learned through the years, he doesn't just tell me what I want to hear. If he thinks I'm wrong, he doesn't mind telling me I'm wrong. And I appreciate that. You hear me? I don't want to be so consumed with my own rightness that nobody can correct me. That's how men end up in apostasy. Amen. In fact, Elder Ticklesheimer some years ago preached a message, pride, the engine of apostasy. He said that's really what drives men into apostasy is their own pride. They don't want to be told that they're wrong. They don't want anybody correcting them. And so there's only one direction they can go in that condition because every man's right in his own eyes. We got to have another pair of eyes looking at us from time to time. Well, hallelujah. 
uh, this is not a great example, but it's an example. I, it hadn't been just a few services back. You know, I, I keep my my phone up here, not so I can send text messages and check the weather, but it is one method of keeping time that I have. And, and uh, also, I've got the app on here to control the monitor, so I don't have to keep telling the sound man to turn me up or down. I can do what I need right here from my phone, so I keep it sitting there. And just a few nights ago, while I was sitting there, all of a sudden I see a text message come through, and it's from Brother Jerry Hilton. And he had just walked off the platform. I thought, now why is he sending me a text right now? He said, your collar is up. You know what? I'm glad he told me. I'm glad I didn't go through the whole service with my collar standing up. I'm glad somebody told me. Hello? Right? I don't want to look like an idiot all service long. I mean, not any more than what I already do. I appreciate somebody telling me something needs to be corrected. <clears throat> All right, I got to I got to try to stay focused here. I my ADD is ki- kicking in right now. You know, I've often told people don't ask a question if you don't want the answer. Hello ladies. Does this dress make me look fat? If you don't want to know the answer, don't ask the question. <laughs> I just lost a lot of friends right then, but I'm trying to be your friend. Don't ask if you don't want the answer, right? We're supposed to all be truthful. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. I'm just trying to say to you tonight that sometimes the blessing of God is when he tells us that we're wrong. When he corrects what's out of place in our lives. It's not always comfortable. It's not always enjoyable. But that's what I love about this prayer. He's not telling God how to bless him. Oh, God, bless me with a car. Oh, God, bless me with a better job. Oh, God, bless me with a husband. Snuck that one in on you too. I, I, or a wife, depending on your situation, but... um, Jabez was not telling God how to bless him. And by not giving God instructions, he's leaving it to God's discretion that whatever you consider to be a blessing in my life, that's going to be a blessing to me. Whether it feels like it or not, it's going to be a blessing. Whether I enjoy it or not, if you send it, God, it's going to be a blessing. Right, right, right. Oh, hallelujah. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. 
Proverbs 10, 22. Are you awake back there? Blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. Yeah. He addeth no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Another translation says, it is the Lord's blessing that makes a person rich, and hard work adds nothing to it. Another one says, the Lord's blessing is our greatest wealth. All our work adds nothing to it. I'm telling you that this is the point of this, is that the richness that God wants us to enjoy is the richness of his blessing, not the richness of finances. That's why I go back to the fact that in that model prayer Jesus gave us, he said you should pray, give us this day our daily bread there are too many christians that are praying for monthly bread and yearly bread right and bread to last a decade god give me enough that i never have to worry again but jesus instructed us you ought to be asking just get me through today if you'll just give me what i need today then lord here's what's going to happen i'll be back tomorrow I know I'll come back and ask for something else again tomorrow. We need to understand, amen, that wealth and power and fame, though they may look like blessings to many, they are a curse to most. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. I, I got so frustrated we were in Israel a few years back and touring the model city of Nazareth we weren't able to actually tour the actual spot where Nazareth uh, stood in Jesus day they've built a huge I think it's a Catholic church over that entire area covers uh, the entire area but they've built a little replica city that that we were able to go and tour and one of the first things they did was lead us to this big door uh, that it was kind of like a an old barn door split in half you know the top can open the bottom half can open whatever and the lady starts telling us that you know this bottom half was called the eye of the needle and she said that 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 when Jesus talked about a rich man being saved, he said, said the deal was that for a camel, he could get through this, but, but he had to really get down. And, uh, you know, it was a very difficult thing for him to do it. And, and, and so he wasn't really talking about a needle as we think of it. Uh, but, but this was the eye. That, and, and I was so frustrated. And my wife's pulling my shirt sleeve not so subtly saying, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. So I was mindful of not embarrassing her and the others I was traveling with, but I really wanted to tell that lady, you've got a problem with your theology because Jesus didn't say it's difficult. When Jesus said, how hardly shall a rich man enter into heaven? He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And, and then the question was, who then can be saved? And Jesus' answer was, with men, this is 
not difficult, not hard, not challenging. He said, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So that's all that stuff. It's nonsense. All right. He wasn't talking about something that was hard for a camel to do. He was talking about something that was impossible. But I'll tell you what, when he said, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible, here's what I know. If God wants to put a camel through the eye of a needle, he can either shrink the camel or enlarge the needle. Right. With men, men can't do it, but God can. Right, right, right. But that's a little off the subject. My point is this. Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. You got to know, all this prayer for wealth, all this prayer for wealth, Jesus said it's the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Because with men, it's not even possible for a rich man to be saved. God can do it, but it's going to take a miracle. Right. Hallelujah. So why are we praying for wealth? Why are we praying for riches? Why are we asking God to make us wealthy? When God said, you're putting yourself in a position where you just can't be saved unless God does something miraculous. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to put myself in that position and I'm sure not going to ask God to do it for me. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, the blessing of the Lord is all the wealth I need. He knows if I've got to live every day with just enough to get by, but he's got his hand on me, that's all I care about. If I can know that when I call upon his name, he's going to be there. If I can know that when my children or grandchildren are sick, he'll answer my request. I'm telling you, church, that means more to me than the biggest bank account in all the world. It means more to me than the nicest cars and the fanciest houses none of that's important but if I can have the blessing of God Amen. however he sees fit to extend it that's all I need that's all I need instead of asking for material things ask for God's favor ask for God's kindness Ask for God's mercy. Ask for God's power. Ask for God's glory. And remember before you say, well, I'm not worthy of all that. Neither was Jabez. But he asked for it. And God did it. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, and I'm, I'm trying to come to a close. Sister Becca, if you'll come. Luke chapter 12 and verse 32, Jesus said this. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God enjoys blessing his people. God enjoys blessing his people fear not little flock it is your father's what good pleasure. it's your father's what good pleasure. good pleasure to give you the kingdom now listen the kingdom of God is not meat and drink it's righteousness 
and his peace and his joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom. And your father likes nothing better than to bestow his righteousness and his peace and his joy upon us. Oh, hallelujah. Some weeks ago, we talked about Esther. We talked about how she was actually afraid to go before the king. That's the way I read it. That's the way I see it. She had the opportunity. Wouldn't go in until everybody went on a three-day fast. And then when she did go in and the king extended the scepter and said, Esther, he said, whatever you want up to half the kingdom, it's yours. She said, well, I want to fix supper for you. Got to supper and the king said, now, Esther, ask what you, he knew she didn't risk her life to fix a meal. Ask what you will and I'll give it to you. Up to half the kingdom. She said, um, I want to cook lunch tomorrow. I'm telling you, she was afraid to ask. And finally, sitting at that lunch, he said to her the third time, Esther, ask what you will up to half the kingdom I'll give it to you she finally got up the courage to ask I'm telling you God takes pleasure in answering our right requests Matthew chapter 7 verses 7 through 11 I'm, I'm trying to just get through this first phrase of Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Read quickly, quickly, ask, read. Ask and it shall be given. Ask. See. Ask. Ask. And it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it, Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone, For asketh, receiveth. everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh it shall be opened. Read. Is there anybody? Is there anybody? If your son ask a piece of bread and you'd hand him a rock. Read. Or if he asks for a fish, you'll give him a snake. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to them that ask him? I'm telling you, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you blessings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me just close with this. Put put First Chronicles four ten up there again, just one more time. And I'm I, I promise you, I'm closing with this. First Chronicles four and ten. Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, "Oh, that thou wouldest bless me," but he didn't stop there, did he? That thou wouldest bless me, indeed. Now, not to stop, stop, stop. We're not going on into any more of that. But I just wanted you to see, he didn't just say bless me. But he said bless me indeed. One man said that in Hebrew, adding the word indeed was like 
writing in capital letters and underlining it. It was like adding five exclamation points at the end. God, I want you to bless me. I'm going to let you decide how it needs to come, when it needs to come, where it needs to come. You make those decisions. All I'm asking is, I want to live a life where I know your blessing is there. Give me 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's not in the notes, but give me that. Give me that. 2 Chronicles 7.14. My people which are my people. My name. Which are called by my name will humble themselves, humble and, themselves pray. and pray. My face. And Turn wait a minute. And wait. And wait. And what? Seek my face. And seek my what? Face. Here's the problem. Most people today in their prayers are seeking God's hands. They want God to give them something of their choosing. But he said, if my people would humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Lord, there is one thing I want. I want your face turned toward me. I want your eyes to be upon me. Because I understand your love. I understand your compassions fail not. I understand your mercy is everlasting. I understand your faithfulness is great. And God, if you'll turn your face toward me, then as I need it, your hands will be extended as well. But I'm not just looking for what you can give me. I want you to smile on me. I want to see the smile of heaven upon my life. Come on, somebody. I want God to bless me indeed. I'm not asking for monetary gain. I'm not asking for material possessions. I'm saying, God, you know what I need. Just let me have those things that you know are best for me. And I won't complain. If it's dark clouds, I won't gripe about the storm. I'll just ride it out and wait for you to speak peace. Knowing that sometimes you calm the storm and sometimes you calm my spirit and let me ride out the storm. But whatever it is you want to show me in the midst of this, I want to learn it. Whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. If I've got to be like Job and you take everything I've got, but through that process, I can learn some things about you. And I can hear your voice in the end. That means more to me than anything else, God. If they keep passing me over for promotions on the job, you may know that I need this. God, only you know the intricacies of my life. Only you understand 
all the details of who and what I really am. And so you and you alone know what's really a blessing and what's a curse. So I'm just asking, bless me indeed. I want your blessing. I want your blessing, God. A stand tonight. These altars are open. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice that you just want to come to him and, and say, God, just bless me. Bless me the way you see fit, God. I'm not putting parameters on it. I'm not giving you instructions, God. I just want you to bless me the way you see fit. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. Come on, let's talk to the Lord. Let's talk to the Lord. Let's talk to the Lord. Oh, God. <laughs>